0: with Dr. Frank Turek. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. Ladies and gentlemen, notice he didn't say make believers. He said, make disciples. There's a difference. We're not just trying to get people fire insurance. We're trying to make them more and more like Jesus. That's our goal. To know God and to make Him known, but to know Him in such a way that we're conformed to the image of His Son. That's what discipleship is all about. And it's really difficult in America to make disciples because we're so individualistic. We're so busy. we got so many other things going on. What can we actually learn about discipleship from Babylon in the book of Daniel? And why can we make the claim that everyone is someone's disciple, including your child? Everyone is someone's disciple. You're being discipled by someone. Most kids are probably being discipled by the iPhone, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. How do you counter that? And how can we use research to discover the best way to disciple young people or even older people in Christian education. That's going to be the topic today from our guest Shanda Fulbright. Shanda is the lead teacher on a couple of our online courses. One is called Train Your Brain that has to do with logic, and another course is called Let's Get Real, which is really I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, For 6th to 8th graders, could be 5th to ninth graders, depending upon their maturity level. Uh, And that class actually begins uh, in January. And if you want to enroll your young person in that, you can get a 20% discount if you enroll before December 15th. The same thing is true, by the way, for the why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist course which is uh, coming up in January as well. I'll be your instructor. If you take the premium version, you're going to be on several live uh, Q&A Zoom sessions with me. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see both of those courses there, but you want to enroll before December 15th for the discount. Now, our my colleague Phoenix Hayes is gonna take the interview from here. She is going to interview uh, the great Shanda Fulbright, so here we go. Oh, oh, and one more thing. At the end of the interview that Phoenix and Shanda have, don't go away, I've got a really important announcement that you're gonna like. In fact, it may even help you with Christmas shopping, so don't go anywhere.
1: Welcome to the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist midweek podcast. I am Phoenix Hayes, and I am sitting here at the SES National Conference in Apologetics uh, with Shanda Fulbright. We are so happy to be working with Shanda. She's done phenomenal work creating some amazing courses on apologetics, on logic that are geared specifically for our middle school age kids. But truthfully, adults kind of love them too, especially when you're trying to step into an introductory course on logic. As I've helped build the course with her, making it look attractive and working on videos, I will tell you, I now know so many fallacies at the drop of a hat. And this is stuff they're not teaching in school. So that is a quick plug for a course that you should definitely check out. And Shanda's doing a phenomenal job sharing the product with people and talking about it while we're at the conference. But right now, I want to talk to Shanda about something a little bit different. So for those who don't know, Shanda is a former public school teacher uh, from California. She's also uh, got her certificate in apologetics from Biola. And so she's got this great combination of experience and education that she brings to cross-examine in online Christian courses and with her own work and podcast at uh, Her Faith Inspires. And what I want to talk to her about is a little something called discipleship. So this is a word that we just heavily associate with the church. Mm -hmm. Oh, discipleship, that's a church thing. But you've got another angle on that. So can you you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So
2: about a couple of months ago, I'm looking at speaking at a conference, and they want me to talk to parents and how to encourage their kids in, you know, the world that we live in today, which that seems to be a concern of many parents. And I don't blame them because I'm a parent myself. So I'm going through and thinking about, okay, what am I going to talk to these parents about? Well, let's just go back to the age-old command that Jesus has told the church, go out and make disciples, right? But then you have to ask, well, what does that mean? What does it entail? Mm -hmm. And I had uh, thought about, When George Barna talks about worldview, to me, I'm like, my mind immediately associates that with, well, it's whatever you have been discipled with, whatever you've been discipled to believe, whatever you've been discipled, whoever's been teaching you, they've Mm -hmm. been discipling you, and that's how your worldview is formed. So basically, discipleship is a fancy you know, worldview is a fancy word for discipleship. Like basically. a Christianese version it's of... Christianese.
1: ...developing worldview. Exactly. Which
2: everyone's doing. Right. Which people don't realize that that's what they're being... Like, if I have a worldview, which first of all, you have to tell them that they have a worldview. Everybody mm-hmm. has one. Mm-hmm. And then you have to say, because you're somebody's disciple. That's how you have to take it, right? Right. So my my thing to the parents was, who's discipling your kids? You're somebody's disciple. Who's discipling you? Right. Your kids are somebody's disciple who's discipling them Mm -hmm. and if you continue to to look at discipleship as only a churchy word or or attached to religion itself you're never going to go further to say well who's discipling me Mm -hmm. so no matter who you are and what you believe someone's discipling you you are a disciple of somebody you're just somebody's disciple so i took this back to Daniel chapter one, because I'm like, let's go at it from a different angle. We all know Jesus had disciples, right? And Jesus, we think of. yeah, Jesus had 12, and you know, he he chose them, they live with him, etc. Mm-hmm. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's why people are associating discipleship with Christianity, yeah. But I wanted to come at it from a different angle, and I wanted to come at it from what Babylon teaches us about discipleship from the book of
1: Daniel, okay? Because they did it better than the church is doing it today they did it better okay so tell us a little bit more about that you're you're coming um you're hitting this from the book of daniel walk us through it not everyone is well versed in the book of daniel so i mean you know they tend to think of other things but not necessarily discipleship so tell me what you were reading in daniel that immediately got those teacher discipleship apologetic gears going and you were like oh my goodness this babylon's got it figured out Mm -hmm. tell me about that Okay,
2: so whenever, you know, I was raised in church, so you always hear the stories about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm-hmm. And they didn't waver, they didn't falter, they stood up for what they believed. And everybody wants to be a Daniel. Everybody wants to be a Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. Will I ever have that great of faith? Will I ever be that, um, you know, convic- my convictions be so much so that I never bend with the culture? Uh-huh. We have to look at what got them to that place. Right. And so when you look at Babylon, you look at three things that they did to disciple. Now, yes, I'm going to use the word disciple because everything that Babylon did is part of what discipleship is, no matter if it's coming from a Christian worldview, if it's coming from an Islamic perspective, no matter who is discipling and making a disciple of a student, they're using these three things. They're intentional, they're immersive, and they are not neutral. And that's exactly what Babylon was. So when you look at Daniel from the very, very beginning, you will see that Babylon intentionally chose the young. They chose the the nobility the people who are of royal descent and they took them because they wanted to make sure that their minds were moldable if you go back and read the first like i think it's five to six verses you'll see that they knew that these young boys could
1: easily be educated and indoctrinated into the ways of babylon let me just pause you there let's just back up a little bit and create some context for people who are these boys why is babylon bringing them into the fold What's going on culturally and in history at this moment? Okay, so we're we're talking about
2: Babylon going in and taking Judah, invading Judah, invading and Judah, and they're going to take you know capture these these young uh, these young men. These they're crushing the the society of the tribe of Judah. So they're they're coming in. They're intentionally looking at who are we going to carry away to serve. The king of Babylon, though. And they're gonna take the future yes. of Judah. Right, right. They're take, exactly. Mm-hmm. They're taking the future, but not just the future. When we're talking about being intentional, you're talking about what purpose am I going to, what is the purpose of this decision and taking these kids? Mm. They were kids. Yeah. We have to remember that they were young, but they were of nobility and of royal descent. They knew who they were looking for when they went in. Okay. Everybody else was probably just crushed or left. Right. You know, they weren't chosen.
1: They're looking for the best, the brightest, and the people who are going to have influence. Exactly. But they
2: also looked at who has great reasoning skills, who are the Mm. ones that are teachable. Got it. Yeah. Because the whole purpose of discipleship is to mold the mind. Right. You know, so you have to look at it in that way as well. So they looked at the young and they intentionally chose those who were from Judah. So you're talking about God's people. Yeah. Right. But of course, this was purposeful on God's part. If you want to look at the spiritual aspect of it, God was using Babylon to basically as the consequence for their rebellion against God or right. turning away from God. So okay. that's the historical aspect. All of right. It. That's good. Yeah. So then you have these young boys coming into Babylon. And they're entering a program. They're entering a program. Okay. So the first part of that was intentional. Who do we choose? Mm-hmm. And we look at, you know, how can we mold their minds? Mm-hmm. And if they're not easy to be molded, forget it. And that's why they didn't choose adults, because usually adults have their minds made up, which right. we'll get back to that in a minute, because I want to talk about even what Barna says about worldview formation. Okay. Which again, we have to remember here, the whole point is that dis- worldview formation is just a fancy word to say discipleship. Yeah. And if everybody has a worldview, then everybody is somebody's disciple, Yeah. okay? So I want to make sure that that is the, where we're coming from. Okay. So then the next thing that discipleship from Babylon was, was immersive. They put these boys into a three-year program where they would learn the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. They That's had right. to learn their ways. They had to learn how to read, write, read, write and speak this, you know, everything that they, they put in front of them, because the whole purpose was at the end
1: of that program, they were going to serve the king. They and not g- only that, they had to lose their former identity, didn't they? Yes. They had to lose their names.
2: And that's the next part we'll talk about too about babylon not being neutral because here's the thing too with with the immersion of the culture it wasn't enough that these boys were to be a part of the culture to be among them they had to become one of them and that's the whole point too when you when you're looking at intentionality and immersion you're making a disciple a disciple makes a disciple
1: correct yeah you
2: you can't make a disciple unless you are one well let me back that up you're not going to make a disciple specifically to the thing that you believe like like christianity unless you're a christian disciple a christian disciple is going to make a christian disciple or else that's what they should be doing right according yeah. to the great commission right. but if you have um an atheist who's discipling somebody they're going to make an atheist a disciple who is also an atheist right so you look at babylon they wanted to make a, a, another disciple of Babylon yeah they wanted them to read write and speak like a Babylonian but it wasn't enough that you are among us you have to become one of us that means they were not neutral they could not keep the names that they were given by their parents which represented the god of Israel the god of their people Mm -hmm. they had to be changed to represent the Babylonian god got it and so every one of them were named something different and which, that's how we remember them all right no one can remember their original yeah. hebrew names yeah Meshach, shadrach who were they like well what were, name were they given by their parents mm-hmm. we always call them by the babylonian, by the babylonian name, name right? and it always represents one of the gods of babylon yeah and so that's what we see with the discipleship aspect it's immersive it's intentional and it's
1: not neutral it's not neutral so tell me about what we learned from how Daniel responded to that. Cause he picked up on it immediately. He's like, I, I see this, you're pulling me in, you've chosen multiple minds. You're putting me in a systematic program for three years for a specific outcome. You're disconnecting me from my community, making me take on a Babylonian name, mm-hmm. learn your culture. He's thinking, but I'm not going to be one of you. He's, he's one of the very, very few. And this is what we're all taught. We want to be the Daniel, the one that pushes back. But Daniel had to have some kind of equipping before he walked into that. Yeah. What did his parents do, do you think? What did his community do to set him up for success, to walk into a full immersion program for three years and still be able to maintain who he is, who he was brought up to be without losing that?
2: Right, and that's one of the things I don't want people who are listening from the church to say. Oh, so we're supposed to, bab- to disciple like Babylon, right? No, he that- was disciple prior right. to. Right, he yeah. was somebody else's disciple before he walked into Babylon. Yeah, that's why Daniel determined in his heart not to defile himself with the food and the delicacies of Babylon. But notice what Daniel didn't push back on. He didn't push back on the language and the literature learning those things. Sure. It wasn't going to change his mind. Yeah. He pushed back on when he had to defile himself to go against the customs that he had in his homeland To the faithful God that or to the God that he was faithful to, Mm -hmm. the God that he was basically his name was associated with. When I have to enter into the practice of Babylon, that's when I'm going to push back. That's where the line gets drawn. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So he literally was saying, I don't mind learning this because I already know the truth. I don't mind to learn how to even speak it because I already know the truth. But if you want me to engage in it, that's where I draw the line Mm -hmm. because he was already somebody else's disciple, which shows that when you say, I'm going to determine in my heart not to do this thing, his mind, he's determining it in his mind because the mind and the heart are often synonymous, especially in the Old Testament, right? Right. So he had already made up his mind not to defile himself. So I wouldn't say, oh, use the example of Babylon. What we're saying is that is the way of discipleship. Babylon's way is the way that you disciple. It's just you're going to be intentional, immersive, and not neutral when you disciple. Babylon
1: just knew how to do it. Right. And so what you've observed is Babylon knew the system. It hasn't changed. Humanity still operates that way. They had an effective system. However... Daniel had already received a better, a similar system before he walked into theirs. Exactly. And so our children are also being hit with Babylon's system. Some would even call it indoctrination, but it's a discipleship program. It's making more Babylonians, the best of the Babylonians. How do you, and, and it worked, right? The, the majority of the young um, men brought out of Judah succumbs to that sure. training. So we know it's effective. We know it's taking place in our current day culture. What happened with Daniel prior to walking into that that made him have the immune system, if you will? He, the, the understanding, no, I know who I am. You can't change that. I can learn all about what you believe. That, that's not going to change my mind, but right. I'm open to learning.
2: Well, you have to remember, what, what did Daniel and his parents would have likely to have had? yeah they would have had the pentateuch the first five books of the bible yeah and you look at deuteronomy 6 and the parents are called to be diligent with their kids right you're you're called to be intentional with your kids yeah you're as a family and in your home you're immersing your children into discipleship Mm -hmm. and then you are not neutral and we also see that example go to jesus when how he worked with his own his own disciples yeah he intentionally chose the 12. He said, have I not chose you yet? One of you is a devil. That's right. He said he was very intentional when he chose them. Then he immersed them into a three and a half year ministry with him where he would teach the crowds and then pull them to the side and explain it to them. Yeah. And then he was not neutral because he said, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other. Yeah. And by the way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the father but by me. He was very... I- exclusive and not neutral and unwavering. But you have to say, people get upset with Jesus and how he did discipleship. But Babylon did the same thing. Yeah. And that must mean that Daniel's parents did the same thing. They yes. were intentional, immersive, and not neutral. Yeah. So when he got there, he knew I also cannot be neutral. There is no middle ground There's when no it comes to when it comes to um this defiling myself. Because that is not the way that I have learned. That is not my, that is not how I have become, you know, my conviction is, does not match this. So there's, there's no wavering there. And so, again, you have to say, what does, people are going to push back on this idea of, oh, wait, I'm not a disciple because I'm not a religious person. Right. Yeah. But, again, if you're talking about worldview formation, yeah, you have a worldview. That's right. And you may not be intentionally out there seeking specific teachers to follow or ways to believe in things which i, I
1: would push back on that myself right you just know tell us who you follow on social media those are the people discipling you exactly and you have to look at what does babylon
2: what does babylon reflect what is it what is it an example of it's the example of a culture yeah of a hostile culture so if somebody says well I'm not out there intentionally seeking to be, you know, be discipled by anybody. Mm-hmm. The culture is intentional. Mm-hmm. The culture is targeting our young people. Yeah. We, if if anybody says that that is not reality, they look at Netflix, look at Disney, look at these uh, libraries that are having drag drag queen story hour. Yeah. Um, why are they targeting the kids? The same reason Babylon targeted the young. It's yeah. intentional, right? You know, the public school system with bringing in. Um, you know, different clubs and, and curriculum that is teaching the kids about gender identity when you should be teaching basic math, reading, and writing, etc. Right. So okay, let's just let's just say the culture is intentional. You might not be, although I would disagree but you're more passive, not looking at it as being intentional, but the culture is intentional, therefore you're being discipled. It wasn't the fact that Daniel and his friends didn't have to be intentional to go into Babylon. Babylon was intentional about picking them. Yeah. And then the next thing is the culture you're immersed into the culture on a daily basis, especially with your phone,
1: Mm -hmm. uh,
2: in the entertainment. Mm -hmm. And whenever you're looking at that and consuming it, your worldview is being formed. Right. And then finally the culture is not neutral. And we get these things, Phoenix, I don't know if you look at them as much, but whenever we post something about this student, you know, our middle school curriculum, how we're teaching logic, how we're teaching, um, you know, based upon, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, let's get real or something. Mm-hmm. Everybody will say in those comments, oh, no, that's, that's indoctrination. Oh, no, you need to let the kids decide. Okay, really? Because you need to take that up with Babylon. Because yeah. the way of discipleship is the same, intentional, immersive, and not neutral, no matter who is discipling, mm-hmm. no matter what worldview it's coming from. Yeah. So those kids aren't being allowed to just decide. At least when we do it, we line the Christian worldview up with other worldviews, and that's exactly what happened to Daniel yeah. and his friends. He learned a different worldview, a different perspective, but he still was unwavering because of what he learned before he got into Babylon. Right. It's the same model, So it's and it's obviously effective. The problem is Barna says... And we have all of the statistics from Barna. The church needs to read American Worldview Inventory by George Barna. I think it's the latest, 2021, 2022, when he says, here is where the church is with worldview. 65% 65% of Americans claim to be Christian. I know Natasha Crane throws out this statistic often. Yeah. But when people who haven't heard it realize, oh, okay, wow, that sounds great. 65% of Americans are claiming to be Christians. Yeah. We're a majority Christian nation. Yeah. With anybody with eyes and are paying attention to the culture can say something is wrong with that claim yeah. compared to the way that we're, what, what's reflected in the
1: culture, right? What is the uh, What is the definition? What is the qualifier for that, for that number? Right. Right. So get past the claim and get into the, to the actual beliefs and the way
2: that we're living. And we'll yeah. see that, Barna says, 6% actually have a biblical worldview. What does that mean? 6% actually think biblically. They actually think like a Christian, like God wants us to think through the Word. Yeah. And then that means how you think will,
1: will reflect how you live. Yeah. And because now tell me, how, how does that change from the general population, churchgoers, compared to actual pastors? How many pastors... Are holding a quote unquote biblical worldview. 36% of the
2: pastors that stand behind a pulpit on a Sunday morning have a biblical worldview. Incredible.
1: Yeah. 17% of children and youth pastors have a biblical worldview. Incredible. And if you're part of the 6% in the congregation, what does that tell you? Most of the people aren't going to notice. That their pastor doesn't hold a biblical worldview. Exactly.
2: Right. Because be, again, disciples make disciples, and you're making the disciple of the thing that you are, have already been discipled to. Mm-hmm. You're passing on that worldview to the next, you know, to your student, I guess you'd say. So again, if you're saying, oh, wow, what does this say about the church? It shows that the church is not being intentional with worldview formation, it's not being immersive, and it's not being unwavering. It is neutral. The churches it's it's what i would say is passive because barna says worldview in the church is caught more than it's taught and it is not caught at babylon in babylon it's taught in babylon it's immersive they are they have a focus and in in teaching we say this when i get into a classroom i have targeted instruction mm. i know exactly where i'm taking my students they don't know it yet yeah i might put that you know that, that here's on the board, this is what we're gonna learn today, mm-hmm. but I know how I'm gonna get them from A to Z. Yeah. I know how I'm gonna get them from here to that target. And what's the first thing you do when your class comes in at the beginning of the year? We assess them. You assess yeah. them. Yeah, and that's another thing Barna has done. As a teacher, my teacher brain goes immediately to Barna's like all of his stats, right? Cause I'm like, yeah. that is my assessment. Mm-hmm. that should be that's the assessment for the church right now mm-hmm. so the church can say oh wow 65 percent of americans claim to be christian
1: nope dig into that assessment mm-hmm. look and see where your students actually are kind of like when you get 25 new students who say i'm i'm in fifth grade what well, yeah. do you have to ask them? Yeah. You're in it, but, but are, are you ready? But are you ready for fifth
2: grade What content? does that really mean? The very first thing a teacher has to do is I have to go assess my students. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I know what I have to teach them. I know what they need to know by the end of this year, but I don't know if they're ready for it yet. Mm-hmm. So I have to go test them. And I have to say, are there any gaps in their learning? And if they are a fifth grader who I know is going to have to divide decimals, multiply fractions, do all of these things, and they don't know how to multiply three times three equals nine, then I have to go back and fill in in that gap Mm -hmm. or they're... All of this stuff's over their heads. They'll never learn it because they don't have the foundational skills. Mm-hmm. They say they're a fifth grader, but they're really working at a third grade level. Yeah. That's exactly what the church is doing. We say we're Christians, but we're re- really working from a cultural level because 90% of those in the church, no, 75% of those
1: in the church have a syncretized worldview. That's right. And why don't you just quickly explain to our listeners what you mean by a syncretized worldview? the best way that
2: I explain this is like, if you've ever been to a buffet and you have all of this food here before you, you Mm -hmm. get to pick and choose what you want to eat. Right. And you put a little bit of this and a little bit of that on your plate and you walk away and that's what you want to eat. We kind of do that with beliefs, right? We take a little bit of new age. We might take a little bit of, you know, uh, another feel good meology type of belief system, whatever. Yeah. And we put it on our plates and we take exactly. a little bit of Christianity because we want to go to heaven, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. we want that eternal security. Mm-hmm. And then we walk away, and it's a syncretized worldview. I'm molding together all these other belief
1: systems. And the thing that troubles me the most about that is often it's someone who holds the title or a label of Christian that's filtering down a new age concept or a uh, progressive Christian concept. But because it's coming from someone who identifies as Christian, It comes through the filter, and now all of it's Christian Mm -hmm. because these our our congregations and our kids are not being equipped with that biblical foundation, that biblical worldview. Exactly. So then, my next, my last question for you is: Are you saying we ought to be using the Babylon model? Are we should we be taking a system from a corrupt world and applying it internally in the church? What would you say to that? I say use Daniel's parents we have to attribute his success
2: in babylon to what he had prior to babylon it has to have come from his parents we use that model it's still the same model of discipleship but we're coming at it from a christian worldview parents today will say um man i'm afraid that my kids are going to learn these things in the culture
1: mm-hmm.
2: Bab- daniel 1 shows us that you don't have to be afraid of Babylon. Your kids are in Babylon yeah. when they walk outside your door. Right. Your kids are going to be faced with these things. The question is, who's discipling them? Because they're somebody's disciple. Yeah. And so you have to be the one to be intentional about that discipleship, immerse them in it. Deuteronomy 6, when you go about your way, formal and informal training, and then you don't be, you don't be neutral about it be unwavering it is okay to stand up to the culture and say yeah we are christians this is what we believe but also i want to make it very clear since we're in the realm of apologetics and i love apologetics that was one of the things that was missing from as you know my upbringing as a christian don't forget the biblical foundation is the foundation so yeah. make sure that you're laying that. And then with apologetics, you're layering it. Right. Those two things, to me, are the way that you build a biblical worldview and you create a solid disciple who can go out into Babylon and say, it doesn't matter if I read your books, speak your language, or hear what you have to say. I've already been discipled, so I know the truth. And that foundation will
1: keep them from wavering. Right. And actually, mm-hmm. what I would add to that is I don't— particularly like the term biblical worldview because it immediately sounds like you're skewing reality for them. I don't want you just to understand reality. I want you to understand it through this lens. If Christian parents really understand the story of what the Bible teaches us, it's not a biblical worldview. It's a worldview of reality mm-hmm. as it is. Now, I know that everyone's gonna push back on that because, oh no, it's it's just your reality. No, reality doesn't have a your. Reality right. doesn't have a qualifier. Right. Same thing with truth. So stack up the different quote unquote worldviews and figure out which one aligns best with reality, not the reality you want, the reality that is. Right. And every single time, if you've understood it, it's the biblical one. So really, let's just erase biblical and just get down to what is reality. Yeah. And once you've grasped that, you can listen to Babylon's version, but using basic logic, critical thinking, you're gonna be like, yeah, but that doesn't stack, of, stack up with reality. Right. I'm gonna stick with that one. And the reality just so happens to be the one ordained by God, because guess what? Yeah. He created it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Shanda. Did you want to just a- add anything to that before we before we wrap up?
2: Well, I just you know I want to encourage parents that uh, you're the biggest influence, and remember Big this time. one thing that Barna also says. I love Barna as you can tell, but he just brings that. Like she I said, is that- not paid by Barna. She <laughs> is not. just a massive advocate. That's of right. Barna. I am. <laughs> but the other thing Barna says, and I want parents to remember this. And actually this goes for anybody in a position of influence, right? Which we all have some sphere of influence. Yeah. But remember this, the culture is firing back with answers quicker than anything else right now. Kids have it at their fingertips with their phones and social media. Mm-hmm. But when a parent says this is what you should believe and a parent lives that belief, that influence is beyond any other influence in this world. But if you say this is what I want you to believe and you do not live it, you you've just lost it. You've lost your influence. They will pick up that phone and see a consistent Babylon out there in the culture telling you how to live and being consistent in the way that they're living that out themselves. So just remember the parent's influence is the biggest influence, but it has to be word and action
1: simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I remember uh, as a young kid hearing that quote, um, preach the gospel to all the world, and if necessary, use words. And I thought, oh, wow, what a cool idea. Now as an adult, I realize, well, it's a cool idea, but it's only half the idea. Sure. So it's not an either or. Yeah, that that message resonated with me because I was very aware that people use their words and not their actions. So then this is the other end of that, the other side of that pendulum swing. No, use your actions. And if you have to, use some words. Guess what? They need each other. Jesus wasn't walking around simply doing nice things. No one would be saved. There was an intellectual message that, yes, required words. The words were then backed up by the action. Absolutely. And that's true discipleship, right? Absolutely, 100%. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, Shanda. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, If you want an introduction to logic, Seriously, check out, Train Your Brain, Introdu- Introduction to Logic with Shanda Fulbright and Frank Turek has also helped edit the work and it's it's great. It's a lot of fun, it's colorful, it's geared towards sixth to eighth grade, but frankly, adults can take it because sometimes the world of logic, it's a there's not a nice um, stepping, uh, uh, what's the word I want? Um, a step letter to get on it. Sometimes you have to start, quite high. So an introduction to logic for middle schoolers is a really nice intro for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Shanna, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure talking about this and getting your your input on it. I know that you've written a blog on it that's on our website, crossexamine.org. So for people who want to get a, in a sense, a transcript or a, a short, punchy uh, version of this whole conversation, they can go there. Uh, this you're listening to the, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist podcast. This is our Tuesday, our midweek episode. And of course, make sure you subscribe because we also have great content coming out on Fridays every week, two week, two a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. And I'm Phoenix Hayes. Thanks for listening.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the brand new, why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist course is 20% off until December 15th. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you'll see it there. And the same is true for Let's Get Real, the course for 6th to 8th graders. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you'll see it there, but you got to sign up before December 15th. Thank you, Shanda, thank you, Phoenix. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm often asked, what can I give a non-Christian who won't read an entire book on the truth of Christianity? Well, since I didn't have an answer, I teamed up with our graphic artist, Mr. Keith Carter to create an answer. And what Keith has done before he came to cross-examine, he he worked with clients such as Lucasfilms, the NFL, Disney. He even won an Emmy with ABC because of his artistic talent. And so what we've done is we've created a unique comic book overview of the evidence for Christianity. It's called The Four-Point Case for Mere Christianity, It's a quick 10, maybe 15-minute read. It's beautifully illustrated by Keith. And it also points them to other books that we have should they want to go further into the evidence. The only place you can get this unique comic book is at our store. So go to crossexamine.org, click on Store. You will see it there. There's two versions. There's the full-color hard copy version, and we only have a couple of dozen copies of those left but we have plenty of copies of the soft cover. Again, it's called The Four-Point Case for Mere Christianity. It goes through the four points. Does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? And is the New Testament true in comic book form? And for those of you who are looking at the video of this, if you're on our community, you can see the beautiful illustrations that, Keith has put together to communicate this. It's great for kids, especially at Christmas or even adults who won't read a full-length book. They can get the overview. So as we're coming up to Christmas, this is a great Christmas gift to give. Why not give the evidence for Christianity? That's what Christmas is about anyway. And also, I want to thank so many of you for prayerfully supporting us and financially supporting us As you know, as we come to the end of the year, uh, we are about to launch into one of the biggest, maybe the biggest apologetic goals anyone has ever had. We're trying to translate apologetic material, our best apologetic material, and even those of other apologists, using a proprietary AI program called Kingdom AI. And it's going to require us to about double our budget over the next few years. So we really need your help to make this happen. Thank you for partnering with us. And again, go to crossexamine.org, click on store if you want the book. Go to crossexamine.org, click on donate if you want to see what we're doing. There's a four-minute video that will show you what we're doing. And also, by the way, in addition to doing all that work in the 30 top languages and creating websites in so many languages, we're going to continue to do what we always do. Go to college campuses, go to high schools, go to churches, do this podcast, do a TV program, and so much more. All the social media that you see online will continue to be put out. So we really need your help and we covet your prayers. Thank you so much. Blessings this Christmas season. And Lord willing, I will see you right here next week.